0: many of you are happy to be in the house of God this morning? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just tell the person next to you, I'm so glad that you're here. (laughs) If there's nobody sitting next to you, turn around and look at the person behind you and tell the person, I'm so happy that you're here this morning. Uh, For those of you that are here the first time, we are going through the Apostles' Creed and taking it line by line and looking at... uh, what the what the forefathers of faith have put together as our, our creed, the things that we agree on across de- denominational lines and, and jumping into scripture and looking at every single thing that uh, we declare we believe in because how many of you know that there's a crisis of truth that's happening in our culture, in our nation, and we as people that believe in truth and believe in God, we want to know why we believe what we believe, what the scriptures have to say about it. So uh, we're... This week we're going to be jumping into, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. Can we read that together? Uh, The red red words (laughs) at the count of three. One, two, three. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. How many of you know that Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, it says that he's there and he's making intercession for us. Right now he's seated at the right hand of God and he's praying for you, he's praying for me, he's interceding for us that every purpose and plan that he has for our lives that we will experience and that we will be obedient to. Isn't that amazing that we have a God that not only died for us, was resurrected, but he's seated at the right hand of God, and he's praying for you. He can see everything that's going on in your life right now, and he is for you. He's praying for you and interceding for you. How many are grateful that you serve a God like that? He's not, he's not pointing out all your faults. He's not, he's not nitpicking at you. He's not like, Father, look at what... Reuben just did. Strike him. We don't have a God. Reuben, are you happy about that? <laughs> we don't have a God like that. We have a God that loves us, and he's, he's for us, not against us. Amen? Um, we're going to be looking at, at uh, the last part of that statement, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's not something that gives you warm fuzzies. When you hear the word judgment, uh, the first thing that I think of when I hear the word judgment is Spankings from my parents. How many of you have had when you were growing up and you had you, you made your parents mad or you made your mom mad? She would say these words, she would say, Wait until your dad gets home. How many of you have heard that before? Wait until your dad gets home. And when you hear that, all of a sudden it makes you behave a little bit better, right? You want to treat your mom really good, you don't want to step out of line because you're hoping that from the time that you have to wait till your dad gets home. She forgets about the whole thing, right? So you're as nice and as angelic so that, that when your dad comes home, she'll think about all the good things you did instead of the thing that made her say that, right? How, how many of you have experienced that growing up? That's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about judgment. Um, it's something scary. It's something, and, and it is. It's, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a great thing. Uh, if you're on the wrong side of judgment. But how many of you know that through faith in Christ and believing in what he has done, that we're not under the wrath of God, but we're under his blood. We're under his salvation and his covering. And how many are glad that you won't face that judgment? Are you guys happy about that? (laughs) Um, We're going to answer three different questions. Uh, When is judgment? Who judges? Who judges? and what will be judged. And uh, so we're going to jump into this scripture. Let's read Second Peter 3, 9 through 10, if you'd read that with me at the count of three, one, two, three. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, Second Peter 3, 9 through 10. Now, a lot of people see injustice in the world. Several weeks ago, we took an offering for Myanmar. Several of our churches are struggling in that, in that part of the world. And uh, one of our missionaries just told us that uh, the military is forcing businesses to open, because they're protesting by shutting down. And the military's forcing them to open, and if they won't open, they'll just ransack the business, break open, steal all their things, and then if they do open, then they'll tax them. And there's things that are happening, injustice is happening all across that country right now, and so we're sending support to help uh, the refugees that are fleeing from Myanmar into the Thailand border. When I'm talking to Solomon, one of our missionaries that are there, or I'm talking to Stephen, another one of our church planters there, and they're talking about the military coming in and and killing people and chasing them out of their homes and raping women and just the atrocities that are happening there right now, I feel so like I pray, and it feels like the prayers are not being answered. It feels like there's injustice that's happening, and it makes me feel... How is, this, how is this possible that I'm in America and enjoying the freedoms of America and my brother in Christ, I'm talking to him over Messenger on Facebook and he's suffering and there's nothing I can do about it. I can't go there. He can't come here. All we can do is pray. But it's amazing how in that suffering they have such faith and hope in what God is doing in their nation. And, and there's a, a cry that comes out from those that are that know God. When will justice happen? When will justice be served? How many of you ever experienced that? Like, God, when will things become right? And and that day is coming, and it's coming on his time. And the reason why he's not executing judgment right away, that scripture says he's not slow, as some people count slowness, but he is. What is he? He's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all, everyone say all, all to come to repentance. Even, even the people that we feel are most undeserving of salvation, most undeserving of forgiveness, God wants them to repent. God wants them to come to faith in him. God wants them to experience the love that he has for them. And so he's called us to be a part of that, amen. Um, this is a story that I was, that I was uh, reading through um, and just kind of reflecting on. I like asking questions when I read stories, and, and uh, this is a story, one of the saddest stories uh, of how King Saul, uh, the first king of Israel, went into depravity and he totally rebelled against what God wanted for the nation, and, and even for his life. He, it was prophesied that God had rejected him as king and he had chosen someone else, And instead of saying, okay, God, I'm sorry, I messed up, and giving the kingdom up, he fought for the kingdom even more. How many of you have ever been in that place where where you know something is God's will, and instead of surrendering to his will, you're like, I'm going to do this no matter what. You don't have to raise your hand, but I think we've all been in that position. This this story kind of shows the length that he went to to rebel against God. So he knew David was going to get was anointed as king. And instead of giving the kingdom to David, he fought with God and wanted to kill David. And David was running away from Saul. He went through uh, this city of Nob. And as he went through the city, he he got help from the priests that were located there. And they gave him food, and they gave him the sword of Goliath and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, The priests helped his men. And there was a person... uh, there's this person, Doeg, my mom, last service I said, Doeg. And she says, it's not Doeg, it's Doeg. So Doeg, um, the Edomite. And Doeg, the Edomite, he actually saw these priests helping Saul, and or helping David, and he went and he snitched and he told Saul. Um, so Saul descended on that city. It's, it was a city that had, uh, it was occupied by priests and their families. Um, and this is the, the recollection of that from 2 Samuel 22, verse 17. Then the king ordered, the, King Saul ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling, unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. How many of you would be afraid to, to if, if the... If the mayor told you to kill your pastor, how many of you would be a little f- afraid to kill your pastor? Oh, okay, good, good. Um, the king then ordered Doeg, you turn and straight down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down that day. He killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put the sword to Nob the town of the priests, and its men and women, its children and infants. It was genocide in the city. This one man just came through, and because they were priests and they helped David, struck everybody down, down to the infants, and it says, even the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep. That's how far Saul went. That's how crazy he got. But one uh, one son, named Abathar, he escaped and he fled to join David. And he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, Then David said to Abathar, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. And I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me also. You will be safe with me. So somehow David knew he was, and I believe it wasn't just that he was a good judge of character, but it, it talks about David understanding the next move because he prayed. He would always inquire of the Lord, God, should I go and take this city? And then God would say, "Yes." And he wouldn't stop there. He would say, "What will happen when I take this, when I go against the city?" And then God would say, "I will give you the city." And so he always inquired of the Lord and God always told him exactly what to do. And and God and David had this prophetic edge to him where he understood the future. And this is what he said, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. And so I thought about that. D- David knew that this guy was going to tell Saul. How did he know? I believe God told him. The, the Spirit of God told him. But then why didn't God tell David what Saul was going to do? It's interesting, right? It's a good question. Like, why Why did God tell David that the Edomite would snitch on David or the priest, but he didn't go the next step and say, and David, by the way, when Saul finds out, he's going to come and massacre this whole village. why Why did he not do that? It's a good question, right? What kind of person was David? He was a man of war. He wasn't scared of killing anyone. He killed Goliath when he was a teenager. He wiped out thousands of Philistines. If God had told him, hey, David, by the way, when Saul gets word that you're here, he's going to descend on this town, kill women, children, infants, this whole town's going to be dead. What would David have done? He would have pulled out his sword, and with one swift move, Doeg would be gone, right? And the whole village would be spared. All of those infants and children, they wouldn't have gotten slaughtered. But Saul didn't do it yet. And David would have killed a man for something that Saul did not yet do. And is that justice? Is it justice that David would kill a man for a sin that was not yet committed? We would think, yeah, But in God's eyes, in God's eyes, it would be unjust to kill somebody for something that they didn't do yet. It was more just in God's eyes to allow Saul to come into the village, massacre everyone, so that when judgment was served to Saul, it was served to him for the actions that he did commit. Isn't that crazy? God's perspective of justice is to allow people to make their decisions and then to judge them after, even if it means that there's suffering that happens because he values freedom and he values free will of his creation. A lot of times we sin And we don't suffer consequences right away. And we think, oh, God approves. He's okay with this. But the pattern of God in scripture is that he's very patient. And the reason why he's patient is he wants us to repent. He wants us to change. And in the same way he he waited. This is so interesting to me because I believe David felt guilty he felt responsible that this whole village was wiped out. And I bet you he went before the Lord and he said, God, you told me that Doeg was going to tell Saul. Why didn't you tell me that Saul was going to wipe out this village? And then God would have said, what, what would you have done? And David would say, I would have killed that guy to spare this village. And then God would tell him, that would have been unjust. And, and, and I believe God began to open up to David what judgment looked like. Because if you read Psalms, there's more mentions of judgment and the word judge than any other Bible, any other book in the Bible except Ezekiel. And they mention it the exact amount of times. David had an insight into judgment to the end of the wicked that, that nobody else in scripture knew about. And I believe that God revealed to David the end of the wicked. He had a revelation of the end of the wicked. And because he had a, a revelation of the end of the wicked, he actually had compassion for Saul. He didn't want to be a part of Saul's demise because he knew that God was going to take care of it and it was going to be way worse for Saul. If you, if you look at um, 1 Samuel twenty four twelve, David has the opportunity to kill Saul. And instead of killing him, he said, let the Lord judge between you and me. And let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. Because he knew what was going to happen to Saul. In, in that next slide we see Saul falling on his sword. He died the most humiliating death that any king could, could, could die. And not only that, in, in the scriptures that we looked at last week, where he inquired of a witch and the witch told him, today you will be with me. It wasn't that he was going to go to heaven with, with Samuel, but he was in that place that was the bosom of Abraham where hell and heaven could exist in the same place. And everything in scripture points to Saul being in hell. And people can be, debate that. But I believe that David had such an understanding of judgment and where Saul was headed that it allowed him to feel compassion for Saul. And he didn't want to be a part of the judgment of Saul. He would let God take care of that. I was talking to Jake. Um, we were we were planning this, this message, and he said that you know, Jake is much more um, talented than you guys think. Did you know that he's an author? That he writes books? Everybody say, ooh. <laughs> but... but Jake said that the first book that he wrote, he didn't want anything bad to happen to any of his characters. So he wrote the book, and at the end of the book, he said it was just so boring, because nothing bad happened, there was no tension, there was no conflict, and it was just this happy story all the way through. And he said, man, i got to do the next book different. So the next book, he said that he wrote the ending of the book before the middle and the beginning. And in the ending, he knew that his characters were going to win out and that the villains were all going to suffer this horrendous death. And so he said because he knew the ending, he could put his characters through hell. And he just beat his characters up because he knew at the end they were going to win. But then at the same time, he said he felt compassion for the villain because he knew the end that the villain was going to have. And, and then while we were talking about that, he said, so that's what God does to us. God allows us to go through things because he knows that the end is good. And we have to have faith that he is the judge and that he will execute righteousness and justice. Amen? Um, are you guys with me? Okay. <laughs> the Lord judge between me and you. Um, I remember when, when I went to college and I really wanted to, like, get close to God. And so I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast 21 days. And I thought, I thought if I fasted 21 days that the heavens would open and, and these angels would descend upon me and I'd hear the songs of heaven. And, and I just got hungry <laughs> and irritated. And, 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 and I, I fasted and I prayed. But I remember one thing that stuck out through that whole time that That God gave me a heart for people that offended me, God gave me a heart for for people that that I did not love, and the one thing he communicated to me is that i 'm not their judge, that he 's their judge, and that that I needed to love even those that uh, I was frustrated with and uh, let 's let 's Let's read these scriptures together. So um, the next thing is Jesus judges, judges, not us. He is the judge. He's coming back and he's going to set things straight. Um, let's read Luke 6:37 together. One, two, three. <laughs> judge not. Are, you, are we there? Um, Luke 6:37. This is slide 11. Different slides. I'll just read it. Uh, Luke six thirty-seven: Judge not, and ye shall not be judged; condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned; forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. James four eleven. Let's read this together. One. Okay, got it. James four eleven. Okay, one, two, three. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. How many of you, when you were growing up and you would get lickings from your parents, or you know, your parents would your parents would pull you on the side, and then they would say, you know, stop treating your, your sister like that. And then what would you say? But she started it, she did it. And then she would say, but he did this, he did that. And then what would your parents say? Never mind about them. Focus on you. It's your problem. It's your fault, right? And they would make you focus on what you did wrong. And God, in the same way, we're not chameleons that have eyes that we can look at two things at the same time. We're human beings that can only focus on one thing at a time. So if we're focusing on somebody else's problem, then we're blind to our own. And so God says, don't worry about the other person. Their judgment is coming, but so is yours. Focus on your problem. Turn to the person next to you and tell the person next to you, focus on your problem. <laughs> what would we be, we be judged for? Okay, so we're going to close at this. Um, Revelations twenty-two, twelve through 15. And behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral murderers, idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. So God will judge us according to righteousness, but God will also judge the world according to equity. Um, Psalms 98 verse 9, and this, this might be new for some of you, but if you look through all the scriptures on judgment, when it says God will judge, it talks about the oppressed, the poor, the widow, the orphan. It's not just about the sexually immoral or the uh, the the righteousness that he will come to judge it says that he is going to come to judge equity everyone say equity so psalms ninety eight nine it says before the Lord he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness Does everyone say righteousness? righteousness shall shall he judge the world and the people he will judge with equity everyone say equity so If you look through scripture, Psalms has more references to judgment and and judge than any other book in the Bible. And these are some of the scriptures that says, To judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of earth may no more oppress. Another scripture, A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows, God in his holy habitation. Another scripture, Psalm 72, 2 and 4. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. He shall judge the poor of the people, and he shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. Another scripture, 31, 9. This comes from Proverbs. Open thy mouth, judge righteously righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Scripture after scripture after scripture, the judgment that's coming is not just about righteousness. It's about equity. And we that live in America are so blessed to live in America. Um, we, there's this, uh, the next slide. We went on a mission trip to Bali, and th- this, is a, this is a picture of my daughter Alexis, and she's hugging that girl uh, right there. Um, she's wearing a necklace. I don't know if you can see it, but she's wearing this necklace that uh, my daughter Alexis, was, it was given to her by her, her cousin right before she went on the mission trip. So her cousin made this necklace for her, and when we went to this village, this girl started following Alexis all around, and she said, I, I, I like your necklace, very pretty, very pretty. And so Alexis took it off and gave it to this girl. And I was like, oh, I'm so proud of my daughter. And she was like hugging her and walking around with her arm around her. And then I found out later that this girl's head was just covered with, with lice, with hair lice and with ukus. And I was like, oh, no, I hope she doesn't get that too. But one of the things I remember seeing the way that they lived, there's one, one thing that really stuck out. It was this, this uh, baby that had... Uh, a scar or a cut on their head, and I don't know if he dropped on the ground or what, but there was a, a sore on his head, and it was all pussy and infected and oozing pus, and there was, like, no bacitracin. There was no doctors. There was nothing there. And so I didn't know, like, you know, how bad that thing was going to get, but it looked really, really gross, and uh, I don't have a picture of that. But um, <laughs> but we, I remember going to sleep that night, and I... I, I I was saying this prayer and I was talking to God and I was saying, God, this is not right that these people are living on the other side of our planet and they're living like this while I'm in America and having running water and medical supplies and everything that I need and there's these people that are hungry and they don't have medical attention and I said, God, what is up with that? Like, what's wrong with you? I remember having this conversation with God, like, God, what's wrong with you? Why, why, why do you allow this to happen? And I remember what he told me, and it, it, it just, like, he said, because it's your responsibility. And I was like, oh, like, what am I going to do about it? And God has blessed us, and he gives us the responsibility to bless others. He blesses us to bless, bless others. Amen? And, but uh, the day is coming when the crooked will be made straight, the mountains will be brought low, the valleys will be brought up. There's going to be equity and all glory, all honor, all power is not going to be like this. It's going to be flat. All honor, all glory, all power, all authority will not go to the president, will not go to the vice president, will not go to the ambassador. It will go to Jesus. It will go to God and every other person will be equal in the kingdom. God is a socialist. There's no authority outside of him. Everyone is equal. Does that bother you? Because that bothered me when I thought about that. That all authority, all glory goes to him. Like, I was thinking, so everything I'm working for is gonna be neutralized? I don't know, you gotta think about that. And then it started making me think, am I working for the wrong things? Does it bother me because I like being above people? Or being, having some kind of status? Does it, I mean, when you really think about how that affects you, that everybody will be equal and only one person has glory, one person has power. Does it bother you? I don't know. Just think about it. It's a relief. Some people, it's a relief. Uh, Final thoughts. And we'll just close with this. I know pastors have like five closings. (laughs) This, This is the last closing. Close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. I want you to visualize Jesus in your mind. The first picture of Jesus that comes to your mind. Okay? Don't change it around. Just the first picture of Jesus that comes to your mind. Okay, open your eyes. What was the picture? Just, he was sad. Okay, we have a sad Jesus. What does he look like? Just, Caucasian European, (laughs) Caucasian European. What is he wearing? Where is he? On the cross. Some people say on the cross. I, I think, how many saw Jesus on the cross? Raise your hand if you saw Jesus on the cross, okay? How many saw a baby in a manger? How many saw Jesus healing people? How many saw a bright light? You guys are so quiet. Chosen. Chosen. Any others? He's preaching on the mountain. He is holding a lamb. Okay, so all of these pictures that we see of Jesus, right, are things that we've been taught, things that we uh, understand. It was how Jesus was on the earth 2,000 years ago, right? And and, and the one thing that I'm thinking about as I prepared this message on Jesus coming back to judge the living and the dead is that Israel could not accept Jesus as a savior as a messiah as somebody who would be a servant because their picture in their mind was the god of the past and the god of the past was the one that opened the red sea that delivered them from egypt the one that that led them with a pillar of fire and a cloud a cloud by day a pillar of fire by night right that's their idea of who god was so when he came as a servant even though there was prophecy about him coming as a servant they couldn't accept him as a servant Because their visualization of what he was, their perception of who he was, was not a servant, was not a savior, was not a sacrifice. So, I wonder how many of us Christians have a past perception of Jesus, and when he comes back the second time as a judge, won't recognize or won't expect how he comes back. Let's read this together. The count of three. Luke 4:18 through21. This is when Jesus comes out from the wilderness and he walks into the temple and he reads Scripture before he starts his ministry. Let's read this together. One, two, three. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Where did he read that from? Luke 4. 4. (laughs) Actually, Luke 4 wasn't written yet. Um, Isaiah. So, let's read Isaiah. Isaiah. He, he was reading the Old Testament scroll. Isaiah says the exact same thing. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed it up and gave it to the attendant. But what was the part that came after that? That he closed it before he, read, he could read it. And the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. Who are the ones who are mourning? The ones who are mourning are us. We want justice. We don't like the things that are happening in the world that are unjust. But one day he's going to come back, the day of vengeance. What does the day of vengeance look like? If you read Jeremiah 46, verse 10, it says, The day is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be satted and drink its fill of their blood for the Lord God of hosts, who the sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. How many of you, when you close your eyes to picture Jesus, picture Jesus with a sword that was drenched in blood of his enemies? Not one of us, right? But this is... Jesus, when we say that creed and we say he will come back to judge the living and the dead, this is the description prophetically of what Jesus looks like when he comes back. 1 Corinthians 15, 24, it says, Then comes the end. Everyone say end. end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. So he's going he's gonna to deliver. On, he, he told us to pray, and Christians have been praying this for, for centuries and millenniums. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the day is going to come that earth will be like heaven, that his rule will be established on earth. And it says that the end will come. He'll deliver the kingdom to God the Father. And how does he deliver the kingdom to God the Father? What is he gonna, how is he going to do that? It says, after destroying... Every rule, every authority and power. This is a different Jesus, right? Different Jesus than we picture in the past. Some of you guys are struggling the same way that Israel struggled in, in picturing a savior, we struggle of picturing Jesus as a soldier, Jesus as a as one who will bring the kingdom. Revelations 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. War with his enemies. And there's a picture of Jesus with a sword. This is just a construction of what Scripture says. Let's, Let's... Read this at the count of three, and then we'll close our service. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. Oh, next slide. You don't have it? And behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Amen. Oh, we can stop. I mean, if you want to keep reading it blessed this that's a different slide but we're just, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie god's called us the same way that we've received his grace to give that grace to others to be ministers of that grace god is patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish and all to come to repentance because there will come a day that he will come back and restore the kingdom of God on earth. Amen? As it is in heaven. Can we close by saying the Apostles' Creed? Um, Every time that we say it, we're unveiling another one of the lines and what it says in scripture of those lines, but I want to be able to say it as a church by the end of this series with the understanding and revelation of what it means. Can we all stand and we'll say it together? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises in your word. God, thank you that you came as a servant, you humbled yourself, and you set an example for us to live, not just to set an example of how to live, but Lord, that you paid a price on the cross that we couldn't pay so that we can have fellowship with the Father. Thank you, Lord, for for the gift of forgiveness, for the gift of fellowship with with you and the Father. And Lord, we thank you that you've called us to be ambassadors of your forgiveness and your grace and your love to this world. And God, we know that you are coming back again, that you will bring justice, that you you will come to judge the living and the dead. And God, we want to extend forgiveness. God, I just pray for every single person here today. Every single one of us have gone through offense. Every single one of us struggle in some way with unforgiveness, with offense, with people who have wronged us. God, I pray, Lord, for every single one here that you'd give us the grace to be able to forgive and to release offense of those that have offended us. And God, we pray that the same way that we have received forgiveness from you, Lord, that we would be able to give and extend that forgiveness to those who don't know you. God, we pray for our community. We pray for our government. We pray for our nation. Lord, that there would be an awakening from this whole virus and everything that has been going on in the past year. Lord, there's so many families that have suffered. There's so many people that have suffered relationally, that suffered with economically. God, we pray that you would use us to minister your love and grace and bring an awakening, Lord, to our community. Bring an awakening to people that are in our own sphere of influence, Lord, that you would use us to share your gospel with them. We thank you for your grace and your love and, and the destiny and the purpose that you have for every single one of us, not just in this world, but in the world to come. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, now God's people said, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you and look to you and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week. God bless you.